Hey everyone. Hey. Oh, wow, look how responsive you are. That's great. Uh, there are so many faces here that I don't know and haven't actually met yet. Uh, and so if you feel the same way about me, my name is Monique. Most people call me Neek unless I've done or said something that I shouldn't have. And then it's back to Monique. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to be here today. Usually I'm in that corner over there giving the hairy eyeball to a blanket full of kids. Some of which are not my own, if you've ever looked on and wondered, they're not all mine. <laughs> but I'm here and I'm bringing us back into the second session of a new series that we're going to last week. We kicked off a series of preachers under the umbrella name, I Believe. And in them, we hope to touch on some of what is widely known as the Apostles' Creed. And I say some of because there's so much and there's so little time, so we're going to do our best to go through it. Um, and Matt did share this last week, but in case you missed it. The creeds are doctrines or core topics that we hold to universally as Christians. We hold it um, very dear to us. It is the basis of what we believe. It's these truths that set us apart from any other religion system or, or belief system in the world. And um, these things are things that we hold very dear. We're not very liberal on them. We, we're very close-fisted about them. So you're going to have a really hard time convincing us that these things are not very, very important to us. And so these truths is, are, are what make Christianity what it is. And they are birthed from and set on and centered around Jesus Christ. And so today, we will be taking a closer look at why Jesus is such a central figure to our faith. So now, before you take a cat nap at the thought of talking about something that's pretty commonplace for us, um, I want to just take a moment to say what a privilege it is that Jesus is something that we have the freedom to be familiar with, right? That's an incredible thing. Um, unfortunately, with that comes some yucky ramifications. Like we forget that he's not just our friend, he is the Lord. And so we kind of become too familiar with him. And so I want to reiterate Paul's notions in all of his letters in the New Testament. It is good to be reminded, right? It is good for us to be reminded. We need reminding. Because if we don't, we sort of veer off course and our beliefs sort of take, take these strange shapes as they're formed perhaps more by the world and the culture than what they are by the word of God. And so let's talk about Jesus. We know that Jesus was human. Um, this much is clear and there's historical evidence that accounts for that. That's wonderful. Many believe Jesus was a great teacher and many people just leave it there. He's a great teacher, nothing more. That's it. That's where it ends for many people. But we know that Jesus wasn't only just human. He was also, at the same time, fully God. God incarnate, that's God in flesh. And so we also see that Jesus is often identified and described by the relationship that he holds with the Father. And so Jesus is God's one and only Son. Um, but he is not less than God, and he's not less God than Jesus. He's the same. And so Jesus forms part of the triune God. And so when we say the triune God, what we mean is the Trinity or, or the Godhead, uh, we mean that it is uh, the three-in-one God, Father, Spirit, and Son, all distinctively unique and distinctively their own person, but living in such unity that, are, that they are at the same time one, as though they are one. And so we see um, that Jesus is fully man, and Jesus is also fully God. And understandably, this has caused a lot of confusion uh, in the world, I think, and some people, maybe you're sitting here and you feel uh, that same way, a little confused about how that all really works. Um, and understandably, right, he's God, but he's also the son. 
Um, but he's one, but he's different. And so there's a lot of stuff there. And so I'm going to do the best thing that I can do for you, and I'm going to take you to the text. And so let's read out of John. It's one of the fullest descriptions that I can find around this mystery of, of Christ's identity. And that's John 1. We're going to be reading from uh, verse 1 to about 5, and I'm going to skip down and skip down again. So just stick with me. I'm reading out of the NIV if you do want to follow along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now a little further down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. And so John is trying to describe Jesus without any opportunity for confusion. And so he uses terminology and concepts that may be a little bit foreign to us. We, um, but if not for John's readers. We're not living in the first century after Jesus uh, was around, um, and so it's sort of lost on us. But when Jesus speaks of the Word, capital W, he knows that his readers have the good comprehension to know from the Old Testament that um, when God spoke, he created by the Word of his power. Right? So in the beginning, Genesis tells us, God spoke. And so it was. And so the readers understand that that word is representative of God's power at work in their world. And so what I would like to do with these verses, I want to take them on a hack away a little bit at them to see how many truths and there's many that John shares with us about who Jesus is. And so, first, in the beginning was the word. Verse 1. The word, who we'll understand to be Jesus, has always been. Right? Jesus has always been. He's not new on the scene. He's not 33 years in. He's always been. In the beginning was the Word. When the world began, He was. He has no beginning. And so that means that He's always ahead. We cannot outsmart Him or be ahead of Him, not in time or in our understanding or in our lives at all. And this speaks of His eternal nature. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In the beginning, he was. Jesus himself says in John 8, 58, Very truly I tell you, before Abram was born, I am. In the beginning was the Word. Second, the Word was with God. So now we're still in verse 1. And so this power at work in the world, which we know to be Jesus, and I'm going to keep saying that, um, is in perfect, eternal, and personal relationship with God. The Word was with God. And so whenever we read in the creation story about God, we know that they're a package deal. God and Jesus, they come together. The Word was with God. It's so throughout Scripture as well. Uh, Shortly before Jesus is arrested and the trial preceding his crucifixion happens, Jesus says this in John 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. With the glory I had with you before the world began. And so Jesus is seen all over the Gospels, referring to God as his Father. And so we can see that they are in close, uh, consistent, intimate relationship with one another. The Word was with God. Third, 
We're still in verse 1. <laughs> and the word was God. So John takes it a step further. We see that John is making the point that this power at work, this Jesus, is fully God, right? He's speaking here of Jesus' divinity, his deity, his godness. He isn't only eternal, and he isn't only in relationship. Hi, Kim. Uh, in relationship with God, he is God himself. John's really packing it in. He mentions it again in John 5, 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, and the him they're talking about is Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So Paul, if you're a Paul fan, he's calling Jesus both God and man in the same verse over there. So that's woo for you. The word was God. Fourth, through him all things were made. We're finally out of verse 1, we're now in verse 3. We see here that this Jesus that creates and has created in the beginning right alongside God, um, so John is taking all the points in verse 1 and he's drawing them into one concise thought right over here. Jesus, who has been with God and is equal to God, um, is busy exercising his authority as creator, right? Through him all things were made. So John is also reaffirming he can't have made things in the beginning if he wasn't in the beginning. And so John's also reaffirming he is in the beginning. Um, and so I love that John is going at this in layers. He's sort of just building one truth onto the next one. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Through him all things were made. And then fifth, in him was life. So now we're in verse three, uh, 4. We see that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life. We saw that right now. Nothing has breath apart from him. And so a short caveat or deep dive, I think this is very practical. I think this is the creation story. I think it is humans. I think it is creation. I think it is babies having their first breath. I think it is animals. I think it is, you know, life, a heartbeat. I really think it is. But I also think of how nobody comes to the Father uh, except by Jesus. And so in Jesus is the potential for us to have new life. Think of old Nicodemus. Can a man go yet again into his mother to be born again of the womb? A funny guy. Not, uh, we're not talking about necessarily just physical rebirth, but also a, a birth of the spirit. Um, he makes us alive and awake to the truth of who he is and what he's done for us. And so by virtue of that, our great need for him. And so this eternal life, this life that comes from being made aware of God and our need for Him, and um, of being this also this you know being grafted into the vine to receive His life and sustenance, He not only creates, which He does, and it's wonderful, but He also redeems. In Him was life. Sick. Told you there were many. The life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so now we're in verse 5. Uh, we read in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 to 6, it says, God who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This has been witnessed to at the proper time. 
How amazing that God desires for all mankind to be saved. And so when, when we read here in John, it says the life is the light of all mankind. So God, Jesus desires to bring life to everyone. It's not a silly few. It's, it's not, it isn't kept at a certain number. He desires to bring light uh, to all of mankind. And so in this world, when we are without God, we are in despair and proverbial darkness, right? And so being separate from God is like being in darkness. If you think about darkness, when you're in a dark room without a light, the powers of trip, thanks, ESCOM, you're unable to discern anything. Really. You're sort of fumbling around, where's my stuff? You're not sure where you are, where you're going. There's no obvious landmarks for you to um, distinguish or orientate yourself. Uh, and so in darkness, it's like that for us with the Lord. We are unaware of the Lord and unaware of the truth. And so we see here that Jesus, who has always been and is with the Father, comes in to bring light and direction and truth and redemption to our darkness. Ephesians 5, 8 through 9 says it so well. For you were once darkness. Guys, this is true of us. This is true of me. For you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. That's amazing. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. He is redemption to us. But he also signifies everything that is good and true and righteous. Jesus is the light of all mankind. And so seven, and this is the last one. Whoop, uh, the word became flesh. And so we come to see that Jesus holds all of this divinity, all of this godness, all of this holiness, all of this eternity. And he chose to dwell with mankind. That's amazing. And so Jesus is for time human. The word became flesh. He chose to give himself to every human ailment and temptation and learn what it's like to be man. But at the same time, still the word, capital W. All of this, all of the six things we've just spoken about, but in flesh. That's incredible. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, because he was human, yet he did not sin. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Uh, I love how scripture reaffirms itself. Everything that we've been reading, they're all saying the same thing. Oh, look, it's Jesus. Behold the Lord. And I think that is what our faith is about. Oh, look, it's Jesus. Behold the Lord. And so if, you know, according to Hebrews 1 verse 2, God has spoken to his son and his son is the way that we uh, hear from him, then we should listen to what he has to say. And so I want to build on the truth uh, of Jesus' identity, all these seven things that we have just spoken about, and put to you some of the things that Jesus himself spoke of concerning himself. And so I'm going to read a number of scriptures. John 6 verse 35 says, and this is Jesus speaking all the time, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me 
will never be thirsty. John 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 11 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. John 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And another one that I think is really important for us right now, it feels like we're all going through a lot. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So all of these claims form a crucial part of our understanding of him. And we can look at these claims in scripture of who Jesus is and we can hold it up against the life that Jesus demonstrated. And we can see that they line up together. They're not a miss. What we say about Jesus and what Jesus did is the same thing. We don't have time to do that this morning, but Life Group is a really great place for you guys to do that, to go and take the claims of Jesus and to take the life that he demonstrated and see how they line up, how Jesus is true um, and trustworthy. And so for the sake of time, I said we can't cover all of them, but I would love to look at one characteristic that Jesus demonstrated and one which I think is super important, and it's this, that Jesus was sinless. Okay, he was without sin. And I think this one forms a crucial part of our theology. Without a sacrifice that was without sin, there wouldn't be an appropriate atonement, or in other words, payment for our sin. And so on the cross, Jesus takes our sin. All of our wrongs, past, present, and future, I'm so sorry, your sin doesn't end today. It continues. You're still going to struggle with your stuff. You're still going to mess up. You're still going to make those mistakes. You're still going to wish you could change. That's going to happen. But Jesus comes and he takes all of that. And because he's without sin, he's able to pay the price for it. The wages of sin is death, uh, we read in scripture. Without Jesus being the spotless lamb, we would be done for. But with him, we have life. And this, it's, it's exactly this life that we've been reading about in John 1. Redemption and adoption into the Lord's family. And this is where I think our belief has a significant bearing on our reality, and we'll get there in a moment. I want to illustrate this point of Jesus' sinlessness uh, with a story from Scripture, and it's of an adulterous woman. I'm not going to try um, to tell it to you. I'm going to read it to you. John 8, verse 1 to 9. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Like this. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I wish we could know what he wrote. Uh, when they kept on questioning him, verse 7, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at him. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time 
the old one's first. I don't think that's coincidence. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. You'll notice he's the only one who has the right standing to be able to cast that stone. But instead, verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And so, before we carry on, I just, I do want to take a moment. Um, if that is you in your current space of life, and you don't have to be a woman to feel that kind of condemnation, if you feel like you're just messing up, and it's just too hard, and, and it's hurting, and it's sore, and people are pointing their finger at you, and you don't measure up, and it's awful, you have this Jesus, all of this Jesus, who stands next to you and goes, has no one condemned you? Well, neither do I. And so in him, we have this opportunity to be free from that condemnation and to receive life and freedom from him. And so Jesus is saying, if you're able to judge her from a place of perfection, by all means, go for it. Throw that stone. And instead of throwing the stones, they all sink away. And I think they are, as we are, painfully aware of our unending sinfulness. And so I think it's their sin that compels them to walk away, to leave. I, I do. Um, but Jesus, he stands till the very end. He doesn't have sin in him to compel him to walk away. He's able, his purity and his righteousness and his sinlessness is able to stand in the way to that moment. He doesn't have sin um, to compel him to walk away. You who is without sin. He's speaking of himself. And I think the closer we walk with the Lord, the more we become convinced of our sinfulness. Right? Like, tell me I'm not the only one. <laughs> the more we mature in the faith, the more painfully aware we are of our shortcomings and our ailments, our otherness to God. And yet Jesus, who is closer to God than anybody has or ever will be, he has no conviction of sin in him whatsoever. None at all. He apologizes for nothing. 1 Peter 2.22 He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Peter also calls him a lamb without spot or blemish, meaning he's perfect. Jesus was sinless. He's also the, the epitome of embodied doctrine. And so what I mean by that is he lives out exactly what he believes. There's not a discrepancy there. Jesus did it so well. He lived it perfectly. Uh, in the book of Malachi, this is where you go, Monique, like that. <laughs> in the book of Malachi, uh, we read how the Israelites have riled up God and they've sort of uh, invoked his wrath on them because of their continual disobedience and their insistence to break the covenant that they have with God. And it's a really feisty book to read, it really is. But on this side of the cross, we don't really know the wrath of God at all. It's not something we dabble with on the daily. We're not, you know, coming home from our shopper checkers and going, oh, you know what, my love, there was another one. Someone was shot dead with a lightning bolt and a voice came from heaven and they all just fell down and God's wrath is just so there. We don't do that. We don't dabble with that kind of thing because Jesus absorbed that wrath for us. And so instead of that, we know his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness um, as his son's and his daughters, we've been adopted and brought into his family. We don't experience that wrath of God. And so if what we receive from God is not wrath, but it's redemption for our sinfulness and for our darkness, then what we do receive from God is relationship. And so the invitation for us today is a relationship with this Jesus. And this, I told you we do it later, this is later. This is where our theology comes to bear on our reality. 
we get to have all of this Jesus that we've just spoken about. We, he, he doesn't just stay there lofty and high and away from us. We get to have him and we get to live our lives or walk our walks or whatever the cool thing to say is. We get to do that from a space of having him, of being with him. And so if you were part of our four-week uh, February uh, equipping time in February, then this, this will be pretty familiar to you, I think. But our starting point as believers is always to be with Jesus. We want to know him and be with him. We want to abide, or John Mark says, make our home with him. And so when you're confused, be with Jesus. When you're lonely, be with Jesus. When you are hurting, be with Jesus. Um, when you're offended, oh, be with Jesus. When you've messed up, be with Jesus. When you're joyful, be with Jesus. When you're struggling with comparison, be with Jesus. When you are weary, be with Jesus. When it is going very, very well with you, and you have all the favor just sort of pouring down from heaven on you, be with Jesus. It's always be with Jesus. Because this concept of God, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, it's something that we can theologically wrestle with, and we can study, and we can compare notes, and we can do that for a long, long time together. But I don't think that theology without experience of being with the Lord is a full description um, of what Jesus desires for us. This perfect God invites us into relationship with Him. He wants us to know Him and to understand Him so that our heads can inform our hearts and we can live out some of the experiences that He offers us. Um, I'm going to invite the users up. I'm almost done um, and then we'll carry on with you. And so it doesn't say in that scripture from Matthew, it doesn't say, um, learn all you can about me and then I'll give you rest doesn't say that. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and I will give you rest. And so we don't have peace by just knowing it up here. Um, there is something of a refining and a recalibrating that happens in our hearts. It's informed by our understanding, of course. I'll be the first to tell you, I love the knowing stuff. I love it. I love to read. I love to understand. But I think our understanding can only take us so far. Instead, he offers us the Holy Spirit that comes and makes all of this alive within us. And we're gonna tackle this next week. I'm not really gonna to try to do that today at all. <laughs> what a kind and generous God. That he isn't just all he is, separate from us. He's all he is and he invites us yeah. to himself. Yeah. And so I invite you this morning to bring all of your stuff, all of the things that you're going through, all of the things that are overwhelming you, Hearing down on me, I invite you to bring that song to the Lord and to be with him, to be filled with him. Yes, sir.